Episode 9 is part of a short podcast series on women in business and technology. In this episode, I have a conversation with Mooney's Icy Tunes owner, Sharon Prisetto. I suppose her early years of growing up resembled many girls and boys who grew up in a small town. However, she and her family did experience a devastating family accident. Later, she recounts her days in the corporate world and talks about her accomplishments of climbing the corporate ladder, then becoming a business owner. I'll say her accomplishments are outstanding, and they range from manufacturing children's hats to being part of the NASA space program. Hi, Sharon. Thanks for joining me today. Um, would you mind giving the listeners a little bit of a background as to who you are? And then from there, we'll carry on to find out how you got to where you are. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I Well, I was born in Santa Ana, California. I'm a SoCal gal, which a lot of people don't know. But we, um, at a very young age, we moved to the outskirts of Portland, Oregon. So I grew up in Boring, Oregon. If you're not familiar with that, it's very boring. Um, when I was there, there was just a feed store and a post office. So as a young kid, I did a lot of taking my boat for walks down to the local farm to get a gallon of milk. Um, but I spent uh, many hours just kind of hanging out, riding horses. So my my um, childhood was pretty remote. Um, we didn't we didn't have neighborhoods to play, so you, you we were pretty much stuck with you know hanging out either at the house or riding a horse around. But um, our family was uh, involved in a, a pretty devastating car accident when I was super young, and my little sister had passed away, and a lot of things changed for me after that. Um, I think tragedy can change you in a lot of different ways and you can come out of it with kind of a different perception in life. Um, so from there, we actually moved to Linwood, Washington or Lynn Hood, as I uh, like to call it. Um, in Oregon, I went to a private Lutheran school in Oregon. So I went from a private Lutheran school with full capacity of 300 people to Linwood that I think at the time was like eight or 900 uh, folks. So um, it was a little bit of a culture shock for me uh, growing up um, and going to Linwood. Um, there's a lot of things that probably still stick with me. And that's how naive I was about um, just, just being around that many people at one time. So I think uh, it reminds me constantly of how sheltered our parents kept us. And I have, I have several siblings. Mm. Um, but um, if you're going to um, ask what kind of a student I was in high school, um, I was never strong in academics. I was super creative uh, um, in grade school. I think almost every report card mentioned that I was a daydreamer. And so I was scolded and, and disciplined a lot at a young age for daydreaming. And um, I, I have one child myself now that was pretty much kind of the same way, but very creative, um, very smart thinker, out of the box type of person. Yeah. So um, I kind of, I don't know, that's just, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing that I think about nowadays. I mean, kids, all kids don't learn the same. So some kids learn more on a creative side rather than having something out of a book type of thing. But So what um, were you daydreaming about back then? You know, you know what? Um, 
probably hanging out with my goat or twirling my baton or just things of not real importance. I think I was one of those kids that kind of sat back and watched other people's um, behaviors and mannerisms, uh, whether it was kids my own age or um, my own parents or adults, family members. I remember just kind of being, I wouldn't say I was shy, but I was definitely quiet. I think I was just subconsciously kind of taking in uh, information, you know, and you just kind of, uh, kind of, I don't know, kind of randomly come up with your own thoughts and opinions about things. Um, I did grow up, I have a huge laundry list of relatives that never finished high school, which is kind of interesting. Um, all super, including my mom and my stepfather that I grew up with. Um, neither one of them have a, a, a you know, a high school diploma. Um, I had an uncle that um, was incredibly uh, successful. Um, and then another one actually in Linwood that um, he owned uh, Northwest Stereos. I don't know if you remember that over by the mall, Alderwood Mall. And Stereos Northwest or Hot Tubs Northwest, super successful. Um, he's retired now and living in Florida. But I always remember being fond of him, one, just because of his entrepreneurial ways, you know, um, just a super smart kind of business guy. So, so kind of going off on, uh, I don't mean to cut you short on uh, story and stuff, but I I see you, I picture you as a young child looking at the sky and seeing the clouds and you would you would see images and pictures out of the clouds. And now that you mentioned the uncle who had an entrepreneurial um, spirit about him, uh, do you think that you had that business mindset as a young child because of your creative thoughts? I think I was, I think it, it um, it's hard to describe. Well, I mean, as a young child, but as an adult now, I think at that time I looked at, I looked up to it. I, I idolized that. I thought that that was um, being self-employed, and you know, entrepreneur is kind of a funky word, anyways. But um, it can have a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. Um, but that word was never used when I was younger. But I just remember thinking you know, that would be cool to be self-employed. I felt like that was, I wasn't around a lot of people that were like in the corporate sector, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Most of them were self-employed and um, whether it was, um, you know, in construction or um, uh, construction or just owning a retail store, that kind of thing. So I think I just idolized that. I just thought that was, and, and it, I felt like that was important yeah, as a small kid. Other than uh, uh, your uncle, did you have anybody else that you knew or had a personal connection with that um, influenced you possibly? Because you, you were saying that, you know, most of the people that you knew uh, growing up, uh, going through high school and stuff possibly, uh, they did not work in the corporate world. They were their own business owners. So. Uh, I guess my real question would be, so was it important to you have either a mentor or to at least, I don't want to use the word idolize, but uh, kind of like what you're saying, look up to people who um, had their own business? I mean, did that mold, help mold your business sense? I think, I think I was drawn to people that could mentor me. I just felt 
fascinating. I think I, I needed it. You know, I don't think, um, I don't think I really knew at a young age that I needed to be self-employed. I didn't think that I thought, I mean, there was a lot of jobs that I had, like I worked at Red Robin and I remember, um, although I worked myself up and did corporate openings and they'd fly me up to Alaska or Florida, open up a new store. I remember thinking, um, I wasn't quite happy with what I was doing, mostly because I was reporting to people that weren't that savvy. They weren't good managers. Um, and I think that's something that I struggled with even through my whole career. You know, I worked at Chateau St. Michel Winery for 10 years. Um, I was hired uh, as a culinary uh, supervisor. So I have a food and wine background. And then um, I went on from there and went to Microsoft for another 10 years. And I think if anything through those those defining 20 years, I learned that I, was, I wasn't meant to be reporting. I wasn't meant for the corporate world. I was meant for to be self-employed and kind of move towards my own personal goals of where I thought I needed to be. And I, and I don't think that, um, although I, I don't, I don't know how to say this, I'm glad that I went through those 20 years. Um, and there were certainly some great ups and there were some horrible downs um, of having horrible managers. But um, had I not, you know, had I not ever gone to Microsoft, I would have never learned the marketing and branding um, skills that's needed in my job today. So I'm glad that I went through those times, even though, um, even though there was conversations I had with my husband and I would say, you know, I just can't believe that, you know, this manager is doing this. And, and he would say, yeah, you know, that's probably not exactly legal or politically correct. Or, you know, it's just, I, I just, I think I was frustrated um, by the time I left Microsoft and I was so anxious to find something that, that satisfied me personally. And it, and it doesn't, um, many IT tunes, which I own, um, we, we, uh, we deliver and we distribute and cater prepackaged novelty ice cream. And when you think about prepackaged ice cream, I, I have people who still to the day go, oh, well, you went from Microsoft to, you know, driving an ice cream truck. No, that's not what that is. So, no, we don't drive around an ice cream truck soliciting streets. We cater just prepackaged novelty, novelty ice cream. So we don't do any hand scooping. But people's kind of perception is that if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be super, super successful. So what what does that mean, right? So success to me, I think, means something totally different than somebody who's not entrepreneurial or self-employed, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely does, yes. Yeah, I think, yeah. And I think people's interpretation of that word entrepreneur, I mean, I, I see all the time, um, whether it's on LinkedIn or Facebook, somebody's like, oh, you know, I've been an entrepreneur, entrepreneur for, you know, a couple of years now. No, they're still working in, in the corporate sector. They're not self-employed. They're not managing employees. They're not. So people's kind of perception of that, I think is kind of, um, I think it's been, it's, um, it's been triggered or their interpretation of an entrepreneur is something totally different than, what it was originally meant for. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
It does. Like I said, each individual has their own idea of what success is, too. To me, it might be, you know, I have a mindset of if I can make $1,000 a month, I feel successful. Where others will say, I need to have $10,000 a month. And somebody else will say, I need to have a million. So. Yeah, I think the success part of it for me is the way I view success is um I don't think that there's necessarily a dollar value, but I mean, ice cream industry actually is doing quite well. We do, we do six figures in, you know, three short months. It's, it's a lot. It's more than 600 events. Um, but my interpretation of being successful is can I, can I meet those objectives that people are throwing at me? And if I can meet those objectives, then I feel successful internally. That's just my own. Personal. I don't think it has um, anything to do like where the scope of level my business is, whether it's Fortune 500 or um, that kind of thing. I, um, yeah, so that's that's basically kind of my interpretation of success. I think I think that um, my ice cream business has been successful. I think. Um, if and when the day comes and I decide to retire, it's going to be take a pretty unique person to kind of step in and do it just because the business model is, is unique. We don't have any competitors. Um, there are certainly a lot of people in the industry um, doing uh, um, uh, catering ice cream, but not the way that we are doing it. Um, we belong, I should mention, we belong to um, the International Ice Cream Vendors and Distributors Association, and we've been a member now for, for many years. And several years ago, um, when I first started going, um, I went because I was frustrated with um, the quality of products that we were getting. And um, I knew that there had to be a better way. And at that time, even though it's a, it's a Vendors and Distributors Association, there's not, there wasn't a long, a huge laundry list of vendors that were participating. It was mostly distributors. And the last thing the distributors want to hear is problems with distribution. Um, so it was kind of an interesting um, relationship I had the first couple of years. And by like the second or third year, the industry was now holding classes on how to build your business with my business model. So they used my business model on prepackaged novelty. And now most of the distributors actually have their own events team and are using the same type of business model. So it's just, it was just a matter of kind of finding, um, I don't think a lot of people sit back and think about how do you fix a problem? They, if they see somebody else, they know how to do it because they've seen somebody else do it and they think they have a better idea. But when you sit back in the industry and, and kind of evaluate what your problems are and then attack them, then you, then it's a whole different ballgame. Okay. Well, so, let's, uh, um, let's backtrack a little bit and uh, talk about how you really got into, you know, what was that path that you took to, to be a business owner and to be a, um, a woman in business? Uh, was it a difficult path or did you find it to be relatively easy because you – had guidance or you knew the steps that you had to take to become successful because you were already in the corporate world. And, and also uh, was the corporate world important? I know you kind of, kind of hinted at the fact that it was a, you were thankful that you took that path, but is it an important path to take to have 
that many years of working in the corporate world to really understand what it is to be a, a business owner? Yeah, I think my path was definitely unique. You know, I, I married in the mid 80s and started a family. So I was pretty young. I was 24 and I had my first child. But my first kind of entrepreneurial job was um, when I had my second child. Um, I was a milliner. So I, I sewed and manufactured um, children's hats. And mostly I did them for fun. And one day I was just down at the local park with my kids and uh, one of my kids had injured themselves. So I carried them up to the local, there was like a little children's shop up there. And while I was um, getting help, kind of taking care of my child, um, but she was fully fine. But um, I actually ended up selling them hats while I was there. And that's when I think, you know, you kind of, you're in a situation and you're kind of looking around and you're going, oh, I think I could, I could help this person, right? So I knew I had the ability to do something, but um, being a milliner was just something that I enjoyed doing personally. I have, um, I have visual pattern making skills. So like if you have a shirt on, I could probably look at it and probably make a pattern from it and sew it, um, which is kind of an interesting skill to have. Um, but, but that's kind of what started my children's hat line out off and it went national after a few short months. Um, I had sales reps in the Midwest and the East coast, as well as here in Seattle at the Seattle fashion center. Um, I participated in the ski industry where my designs went on to be manufactured outside the U S. So I think I, I think I have creative skills, but I didn't have corporate skills, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, I do, I do have a little bit of college behind me. Um, and that was during my Microsoft uh, career. I, um, had a lot of really great managers at Microsoft. My, my first three were amazing. After that, it kind of went downhill after about six years. Um, they just weren't, they couldn't manage themselves. They weren't, they shouldn't have been managing other people. And I had one boss that said that I had to go back to college because that was a requirement. And well, Bill Gates didn't graduate from college. So um, I went back to college for about two years and then things kind of happened in the industry and that's a whole nother story. So I, I never finished my degree, but it's kind of interesting at that same time, I went back to college. I was, you know, I'm still a wife and a mother and raising three children and traveling internationally. Um, so it was kind of, it was, uh, that was a whole kind of eye opener for me on the corporate sector, but um, kind of going back to that entrepreneurial sewing Seattle hats, um, it went on for several years and it grew quite large. Um, back then we called it like a cottage industry. I hired stay home moms um, that were great sewers to sew these hats. And so they worked off piecework um, and, it, and it worked really well. Um, that went on for, I think six or seven years and the industry started to change. And we were at a point where, you know, I was getting delivered, uh, rolls of fleece that were 15 feet long and, and four feet wide by the UPS driver, which was amazing in our, in our house. And I would get eight of them delivered at once. It was just, it was insane. And we didn't have a big, huge manufacturing plant. Um, but, but it ended up, the industry ended up changing pretty quickly. I'm trying to remember that was like early nineties, maybe. And, uh, or late eighties, early nineties. 
and it wasn't worth it. Um, it wasn't financially profitable to be manufacturing in the U.S. the way that we were doing it. Um, so I ended up uh, selling uh, just some patterns, uh, and those companies went on to manufacture my patterns like overseas, and uh, then I ended up liquidating stuff. So I think that was probably maybe my I wouldn't say it was my first entrepreneurial job. I remember as a kid walking my goat around the neighborhood selling, you know, those packets of seeds that you could get in a box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> um, but but the, but that my role in being a milliner in that industry uh, proved to kind of help me in other areas too. I actually in my late 30s, I was asked to be a part of the Museum of Light restoration team in downtown Seattle. And um, it was for the Lunar Rover. And um, most of the people on the team were had worked on the original Lunar Rover. So these are like, you know, guys in their 80s with long white beards. And um, that was probably my first corporate experience outside Red Robin corporate, you know, food service. Um, of, and of Boeing, it was a huge um, opportunity. And the reason why they asked me to be a part of it was because of my pattern making skills. The battery packs on the front of the Lunar Rover um, were very unique and the Smithsonian Institute no longer had those patterns. So I had to look at pictures, uh, make the patterns and then do up the prototype. And that Lunar Rover is still at the Museum of Flight today. And inside the battery packs is like a little uh, like capsule about who I am and that kind of thing. But it's wow. kind of a Wow. Yeah, it was kind of it was a great project. I got to meet John Young, um, who has since now passed away. But um, there's a great picture. Um, I should find it and send it to you. It's a great picture, and I'm literally standing in this swarm of. Gosh, I think there might have been 50 or 60 men in the picture that worked on this project, and I'm the only woman, which is kind of funny because I was basically the only woman at Microsoft, and I worked at Microsoft on the automotive side, so all the GPS navigation and Bluetooth in your car in the early 90s, which nobody even heard of at the time. Um, but it's de- it was definitely like the whole corporate sector was all male-driven. There were, I think when that group, when the um, automotive group started at Microsoft, there were maybe 30 people. And then after a few years, it grew to about 300. And I worked on the marketing and branding side um, and did special events. So, uh, um, the, um, I think out of, you know, out of the testers and the engineers and marketing, which was pretty small on my side, um, out of that 300 people, there were only three women in the group. One was a tester, one was an engineer, and then there was me in marketing. So I think I've always worked in, in roles that were dominated by men, which is kind of funny. So why probably I struggled early on. I wish somebody would have taught me how to deal better in business as a younger person and how to deal with difficult people. You know, I think I could have fought better. I could have fought for myself probably better. <laughs> you sound like but, you did um, a ph- phenomenal job. Anyhow, I, I'm sure that people who are listening are, are thinking, well, I can't do that. That's impossible. I can't do that. So what would you say to those um, women, girls, boys, women, everybody, how did you do it? I mean, it's, at that point in time, like you said, you really didn't go to college, right? Um, you were kind of forced well, to take I some I went courses. for two years. I, I actually, it's kind of a funny question. So I went for two years, and I took things, you know, like your basic, like accounting. I remember thinking, 
oh, now I was at Microsoft at the time, the accounting class, okay, there's software that does this. Why am I, why do I need to know this? It's kind of like algebra, right? Um, but, you know, I have to tell you, you know, for the 10 years I spent at Chef de St. Michelle too, as a culinary supervisor, um, it, I, I was super frustrated at that time, even seeing like other women in the company that worked what we called Oak Row upstairs. And they were all in their late forties with no children you know, corporate professionals, that's where times have changed, right? And uh, now they say women can have it all. In fact, at Microsoft, while I was there, they called it um, work-life balance, which we all know now for women, there's no such thing as work-life balance. There's, that's just a made-up word that probably some man decided to make <laughs> up. But um, uh, but when I was there, um, I was super envious of those women up there. I wanted that role. I wanted to be, I wanted to learn about marketing and branding and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when I, when I, when I was getting close to like leaving and I went straight from South to St. Michelle just because I was frustrated one day and I knew something at Microsoft and I got an interview and I was hired literally the next day. So it was kind of like, I just kind of jumped the gun, gun out of like frustration and just left, you know? Um, but I was super envious of those women who were able to get to that level. I didn't, but now I don't see myself at that level. It's it's kind of a weird, I think I just was bored with what I was doing, you know, and you, you get stuck with a manager who doesn't help you grow. Um, and I constantly have to, even, even in the ice cream business, I tell people all the time that, yeah, I started it with two nickels and I rubbed them together and I made something out of it. Nobody gave me funding. Nobody, nobody, I didn't pay for somebody to come in and do my website. We did that on our own. I, you know, I had to buy all the vehicles myself. It's like rubbing two nickels and making it happen because you know that's what you have to do, right? So you find creative ways to make that work. And I think even... Even at Chicago St. Michelle and at Microsoft, I found myself getting bored. I think I was bored, or, or I don't think it's boredom, because both those industries are pretty fascinating in themselves. But um, I found myself getting uh, stale, I think is a good word. I was stale. I just needed something else, you know. And the one thing about ice cream is, this, this business, and thankfully it's because I'm running it, I'm able to evolve how I want to evolve. So if something's getting a little bit stale, I can switch it up. And, and you know, unfortunately with, um, with all that's going on with stuff, and my heart goes out to all the event people, catering folks, the whole, that whole food and, and wine industry is just really struggling right now. And um, we're in a position where, um, yeah, we we um, had we had lost events. Um, we lost a lot of events because we had you know 22 weddings on the books. And but did they cancel? They didn't cancel. They just moved them. So, um, but we were able to divert kind of because we were doing prepackaged novelty ice cream and focus on other vertical markets that um, because it's really just me doing it. We have eight vertical markets, and property management is probably the largest. So in a nutshell, if you think about all the high-rises in Bellevue and Seattle that do fire drills, by law, they have to do a fire drill. Or, and if they don't get 
those folks out of the building, they can be fined sometimes thousands and thousands of dollars. So they bring us in to bring ice cream. So when you leave the building, you get ice cream and then you can go back in. It's kind of a funky little, we call it, you know, catching fish out of the barrel type of thing. Um, yeah. But we can do like 5,000 people in an hour. That, that's, that's what we do. So property management is huge for us. Um, and then we do construction. We have corporate. We do all sorts of um, uh, um, product launches, you know, uh, whether it's T-Mobile or Microsoft or Amazon, whatever it is. Uh, we do a lot of, a lot of product launches. Um, but we're able to do thousands of pieces. And then we're also able to do small groups of parties. You know, the one kind of amazing thing that's happened out of this whole COVID thing is um, we've always done small birthday parties because we do have a traditional little ice cream truck, but she's more of a focal point. People use her for weddings. Um, she's super cute and super clean. But most of what we do is like uh, ice cream cart delivery. Um, but um, but with COVID, the birthday parties have been amazing. Like that one novelty experience or kind of thing you remember as a kid in the ice cream truck, we've kind of brought that back a little bit. And and then we're doing it safe with people doing parades or whatnot. But, um, and again, we're all CDC compliant. So we our ice cream specialists have, have gloves and masks on and people have been really great about keeping their distance. Um, but uh, it's amazing to me, even though there's a lot of other corporate stuff that we've lost on, bringing back kind of that novelty and the experience of having these young kids having an ice cream truck, which you don't see a lot of ice cream trucks anymore. If you do, you know, whether they're if roaming your neighborhood, they're not probably the cleanest of vehicles. They're probably not licensed and insured, but it's kind of nice to kind of bring out that whole novelty of, of where prepackaged novelty actually started for me as a kid. Anyway, did you have a, did you have an ice cream guy in your neighborhood? Oh, he absolutely did. And I always listened for that, uh, some music and we ran yeah. after the truck. Did it have, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's something nostalgic about it. And I think, you know, people my age, of course, I'm getting a little bit older, but, um, even people, new parents today, they don't remember that. They don't remember the neighborhood ice cream truck. So it's kind of, it's kind of almost like, unfortunately, with COVID, it's something kind of good came out of it and that people are kind of being nostalgic and not so negative about being home. They still are experiencing kind of that, that novelty of it, you know, that kind of good feeling that you get. So we've been... We've done more birthdays in the last three months than we have in the last 12 years. Wow. So really being a business Which owner, is, uh, so being a business owner, you really have to be prepared for anything and everything. And if you're not, you better be quick on your feet and you better find, like you said, your verticals. You better find other ways and other means of keeping the business alive because it's not just like, yeah. oh, I start a business and I'm going to sell stuff. No, it's not. That easy. Yeah, there's always, there's, yeah, there's always, um, I wouldn't say that the ice cream kind of the flow is there's ups and downs. I think after 12 years, if I haven't got it together now, I probably never would have, but um, you definitely have to have a plan B and C. And I think I learned that being at Microsoft, I think it was a good thing. 
like on the automotive side, all that GPS navigation and Bluetooth technology was so new at the time, people were scared that they were going to make the wrong decision. So we, on a dime, would have to change everything, um, whether it was an, an event in Germany or uh, collateral or whatever. So I think I've learned to kind of, kind of, uh, and I, I don't, this is in a positive way. I like a little bit of chaos and I'm, I'm, I'm used to now adapting to things not going the way you planned it, you know, and especially with catering, something can always go wrong. I mean, you're, you know, we work with a lot of different clients and they're all spectacular, but not all of them are great event planners. So when it comes to logistics, we're only as good as, you know, with the information we've given. And most of the time, the information isn't all that great. So we always do have to be prepared, you know. So I think I think that's one of my probably strong points is that I like a little bit of chaos. I don't like to create chaos, but when the chaos comes along, I, I just adapt to it and we, we find a way to get through it, you know. So. Yeah, it's uh, well, that's a definite skill, I think, uh, is to being able to, to do that. Like I said, pretty much turn on a dime. So as a business owner, um, or an entrepreneur, or whatever you do, would you say it's 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 okay not to keep on beating something that's not working? You need to be able to change or leave it behind and say, okay, the effort's been made; it's not working. We need to change now, uh, uh, rather than saying, I, I got to keep I trying, think, I got to keep trying, I got to keep trying. Well, I think I think people get lost in in that word of being an entrepreneur, I think there's so much um, value in what that word means. But if you're not willing to change and adapt, you're never going to get there. And even, even in my business today, um, we're constantly adapting and growing. So it's like, it's like you're evolving. If you're not evolving, whether, I mean, even I keep bringing up COVID, but it really does kind of bring up the point, like you have to be able to, I mean, a lot of businesses, you know, unfortunately weren't able to, they depend on that cash flow, especially like the food truck industry, especially in Seattle. A lot of those folks work month to month. They can't be out several months. That's, that's, a, that's a game over point, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to adapt to whatever situation that is thrown at you. And, and luckily, luckily, I think like some of the things that I've done through the last well, actually, it's been 13 years now, but the last million years, I think that we've constantly adapted to whatever's kind of thrown at us. Um, I never once, when when COVID started, when it first began, you know, months ago, thought, oh, this is this is going to bring my business down. In my mind, I'm already thinking, you know, a lot of these people that, you know, are, you know, I have a, an older daughter who works in Bellevue at one of the high rises at Concur. And um, they're they're ready to you know get rid of you know eight floors of people. So who does that affect? That affects property management, right? So that that's where my mind is going. I'm not, that's what I've been working on the last two months is if we lose that bunch that those clients for property management, um, where does where does that take that vertical market for us? Are we going to lose it totally? Or and within two days, I was already having had meetings with you know, uh, with Mortensen Construction, downtown Seattle, who's doing the key arena. I, I have already focused on 
if that if that happens, what what's my what's my plan B? You know. So and luckily, one of my vertical markets that I've really kind of I wouldn't say I neglected it. I mean, I'm one person, so we don't have a we don't have a big branding and marketing team here. It's pretty much me. Um, but one of the things I I realized is that I need to focus on these other vertical markets like construction um, and and you know uh, and what do you call it um, well it's like hospitals and um, assisted living because uh, those things aren't going away those things are going to grow right and so is construction construction never really halted in Seattle through COVID. Um, they just made certain uh, changes in the way that they were doing business. Um, so now, now instead of uh, property management being our largest vertical market, now construction is our largest vertical market. So we just, you know, you you've got to be you've got to be able to learn to adapt and and think about ways to make it work, right? I don't think losing is ever. I've never been a good loser. Like I'm very super, I'm super, uh, I admit it. I'm super competitive. Um, uh, and I think I was like that as a kid too, you know, just setting goals. I think I was always a goal setter. Like even, like I said, taking my goat, selling seeds door to door. I think I always, even back then I had, I had set goals for myself. Like how many packets of seeds am I going to sell today? And I, I think I was super young too. I think, like I was nine or 10. So I I don't know if it's like something that you're born with or I wish, I wish I would have learned a lot more. um, I wish I, I wish I had somebody, I don't know how to say this. I wish I I had that, you know, like everybody should have a mentor of some sort. In fact, when I was at Microsoft, um, I was given a mentor. I don't, or be given a mentor, you should be able to pick that mentor that that sparks your interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who that, who that, have no clue who that person would be for me. It would be somebody that would have to be challenged constantly because I'm kind of, I can be kind of tough on myself, I think. So, well, you know, part of what you were just mentioning, I had, I really wanted to ask you as well is if, if, if this ability to to forecast or to look ahead if that was a learned skill or if it was an innate, but you said it sounds like it's something that's been with you since your early childhood. I mean, you were motivated. You yeah, you think, were able to do these things on your own without somebody driving or telling you to do it. I uh, certainly think that maybe it was kind of just, uh, that's just part of my DNA. Um, certainly, in the job roles that I've had, there were um, there were definitely managers that kind of um, probably took that to the extreme and made made those challenges even more difficult for me. So maybe that's why when things come up here, it's not so hard to adapt to something different rather than just giving up and walking away. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's just not going to work. Okay, this is our business and this is our business model. And if you can't go outside that business, I don't think there's any, whether it's large corporations, every business has to adapt because things change. Life changes. Um, your personal life changes constantly. Everything's constantly evolving. So if you're not, if you're not doing that for yourself or if you're self-employed or not self-employed, you still have to evolve, right? Um, there's, I think there's a lot of, 
um, stuff going on now too with um, all the um, protesting. Um, there's there's a lot of people who are just super angry about it. But you know what? We're evolving. God God help us. It can't get any worse. It better get better, right? Right. So it doesn't it doesn't do any good to just be on that negative side of it and be lashing out at people. I see it all the time on social media and it just it breaks my heart. But I mean, social media is it is what is doing it what it was meant to do, to be able to voice your opinion and not have face to face conversations. And people are gonna say and do stuff that are just totally appalling sometimes. And then you get one person that says something super smart, you know? Um, but I think you, I think the way things are going in the industry, you have to be able to be resilient and you have to be able to adapt and, and find the, the positivity, the good out of it. Right. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, and, and I, the one thing I miss about being self-employed is I did, I did love, I thrived off that kind of team morale, the, um, you know, that, that kind of group, yeah, that group sickness or whatever it was, where everybody's like, once, everybody was building each other up. And when you're self-employed, you don't have anybody building yourself yeah. up. You got to wake up every morning and go, what am I going to do today? You know, yeah. I, I probably... I'm a little bit over excessive on building my own team up because um, certainly my employees, they get paid great. They make great gratuity. Um, and, they, and I've been blessed for 12 years for, with amazing teams. And so I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but we, we only hire and retain uh, first through third year college folks, um, mainly just because if, if you've made it to your first year of college and through high school without a, a speeding ticket that's fabulous in my book um but um we actually this just kind of goes along the same line but um last uh winter right before covid you know came out um we were um awarded a king county small business executive award which is a huge thing i've been doing this for 12 years that to me i was super proud of it but because of covid we were really uh, we weren't we didn't have the opportunity to kind of brag about it you know mm-hmm. um but the reason why we got it was specifically for retain hiring and retaining those first through third year college kids and when we do that there's things that we do internally that i do on a personal level to build them up and prepare them because i think the way i was thrown into the corporate world was kind of cruel. I think um, I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't mature enough for it. Um, nobody was there to kind of help my mindset um, on dealing with tough, tough, difficult people, if that makes sense. Um, but our, um, because of the ice cream industry, when we belong to the association, they have been, the industry's been around for about 80 years. And for the most part, in that industry, too, I, I think I've mentioned this like three times, I kind of am drawn to these these monopoly of men-owned owned, uh, vertical markets, if you will. Um, and the ice cream industry is one of them. Um, it wasn't until last the last two years that we finally got our first woman president in the association, which I thought was really interesting. Um, most of these men in the industry have been working in that industry for 50, 60 years doing ice cream. 
um, super savvy, super smart, but it's definitely male generated. But that association has done amazing things with offering scholarships. So um, every year that we've been a member of that association, they have uh, given one of my employees scholarship monies or one year uh, one of my employees got um, employee of the year uh, internationally, which was phenomenal and, she, and it was so well deserved. I was super stoked about it. Um, but they they are we're, we're helping guiding these young kids, right? It's not I mean, it's hard enough to get these kids through through, you know, high school, but to get them through college is even harder nowadays. So, um, so that we, we I do I focus a lot on on building them up. So it sounds like to me as a business as a business owner to you personally, it's really important to um, help the the next up and coming generation of of people uh, prepare them for whatever skills that they need, and that that sounds like it's an important part of your business and how you run your business. Is that is that kind of correct saying that? Yeah. I think, I think even, um, I don't want to speak for my employees, but um, I it, it's been tough on them with, you know, having to come back early from college even. Um, probably even harder for their parents because they're not used to having them. They're used to having them for a few months during the summer and then they go back to school, right? Um, but I think it's kind of, it's been, this year in particular has been challenging, but I think there's got to be, I always tell all my employees, this is, this literally is the funnest job you will ever have. Like, and then I have employees um, that, that worked for me 12 years ago who come back and go, you know what? And one of them is a mechanical engineer. And he came back, I think he had been out of college for several years. I think he got married too. And he goes, you know what? You said something to me and you were so right. And here's somebody who went on to do something pretty pretty flipping amazing with his life and he said working in the ice cream industry was the funnest job I ever had so I, I think that um I think if you can make it fun but you know it's, it's not just about handing an ice cream out it's, it's about learning certain social skills and learning the, they a lot of all my employees have to work with a lot of autonomy they they have to be professional these are professional people that they're going to see so I always say too, it's not, um, these aren't just clients because you never know who your next boss is going to be. Yeah. You know, yeah, you never know where you're going to end up. But uh, for the most part, all my, my team, everybody has gone to do just really amazing things. Um, uh, I have uh, two that are still with me that have worked for me for both of them actually the last three years. And uh, one of he, one of them just graduated, and he's an engineer. Um, so he's looking forward to going out in the real world and and getting a job. I think he's he's already got one now, but with COVID, it's kind of been kind of hosed up for him this summer. But um, so he came back and worked, you know, what he could until all that kind of stuff gets cleared up. There's a lot of businesses out there that are just that are struggling. So I don't know. Maybe I'm keeping their sanity. <laughs> you could be. <laughs> uh, so I, well, I, I think ice cream is a happy business. Like seriously, like people are happy. I just pick up the phone and talk to them. They're happy when we show up. I'm happy when they pay us. I mean, in general, it's not it's not such a challenging. Uh, I think how we do it can be a little 
a little challenging sometimes, but it, for the most part, it's a pretty happy business, ah, you know? Uh, absolutely. People I mean, love ice cream. Well, yeah, it's during, I mean, if we're talking about during this time, I find myself going to the grocery store and going to the ice cream aisle and looking at the novelty ice cream. I'm going, oh, and I'm not kidding. I see other people there at 10 o'clock you know, at night, right before yeah, the stores close. <laughs> yeah, so, which is interesting. Somebody I saw on social media, and I live in Redmond, so the, like, Redmond Cafe site, it's just people post the goofiest stuff, but they're like, I have never stood in front of the ice cream section at QFC longer in my whole life than I have during COVID. Um, but I think I think that's important. And it's important to know, too, that, um, you know, ice cream isn't just for sunny days. People, if we go to an event and it's raining, those people are still taking an ice cream, right? So we, we, get, um, we get a lot of people say, oh, no, it's too cold out, but they still take an ice cream. But we tell people, you know, Alaska is the third largest consumption of ice cream. So you think about that for a minute. You know, but it's so dark and dreary up there most most of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Except for a few short months of the summer that that's bright out 24-7. Well, but uh, it is what you make it. Yeah, and I mean, ice cream isn't just chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry anymore. You've got your... Your cheesecake ice cream. I know. You've got your butterfinger ice cream. All, like there's so much. Yeah, we just we just brought on. This is kind of a great thing if we have a few more minutes to talk about this. So the industry for ice cream, of course, has changed a lot, and um, we have a lot of great resources here in the Seattle area. Molly Moons is amazing. Um, Parfait is great. They but those are totally different business models than what we're doing. Um, but we, we, uh, one of the big things we've struggled with in the industry over the last 12 years is finding good quality pre-packaged, right? Um, so that was one of the reasons why we went to our members of the conference and that kind of stuff, the association. But, uh, we ended up finding a gal down in Portland. It's called Ruby Jewel and she makes these ice cream sandwiches that are to die for. Like, um... Oatmeal, uh, oatmeal chocolate chip cookie with butterscotch ice cream, or the salted caramel with a dark chocolate cookie, mm. or the lemon cookie with lavender ice cream. She just so, and I, so we've been doing the, her product now for a year, and she unfortunately had to close down all of her retail shops in Portland. <sighs> she still manufactures, the only thing keeping her alive right now is wholesale. And I'm doing everything I can to sell as much Ruby Jewel ice cream as I can. But, um, so that, that just kind of shares with you kind of where, you know, how this, how COVID can affect so many different, different kind of sectors of, of the industry, you know? So I just, I can't imagine losing all, we don't have retail shops, but if I did, I would be, that would be totally devastating, but she's a pretty smart gal. So She's, she's one of those people I'm super proud of because instead of closing all of her doors and saying, okay, I'm done, I'll go do something else, um, she's saying, no, we're going to keep doing this and we'll build ourselves back up, you know, and just continue to do um, our wholesale uh, product. Um, so we're pretty lucky that way, but uh, it's, it's interesting times for people. Yeah. I mean, nobody thinks about the ice cream industry, but let me tell you, it's, it's struggling. Blue Bunny um, is actually struggling right now to get their production uh, going after COVID. So um, you might 
it's maybe a little slowing down in the grocery store of options, but mm-hmm. um, it'll, it's just, it, the only thing is it's going to get better. It can't get worse. So. That's right. It's only going to get better. Um, so since, uh, we're probably getting close to the end for, for you, it's cause you have to run and take care of business. Uh, I got a real quick question for you and it's might be a, a tough one. Um, so is there a point in time that somebody would say that I am no longer an entrepreneur? I am now a business person or is there no distinction or two separate things? I think it's two separate things. Um, sometimes I think that that word entrepreneurial, I mean, it's just so, um, it's I'm looking vague. for a certain word. It'll come in. But it's not, you can be working for another corporation and be, you know, have that entrepreneurial kind of drive. I think it's something, one that is, is not necessarily a learned behavior. I think it's just something that you're driven, you automatically feel driven to do. Um, I think, I think it's two separate questions, right? Mm-hmm. It's two separate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, I, I mean, that's just my opinion. Yeah. yeah that's personally and how I, I look at it too. I yeah. And I don't, I don't, I, I, I probably should, and recognize that I am very entrepreneurial. I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, like I said, the ice cream is the first business I've had. You know, you kind of, I don't, I think if you're truly entrepreneurial, you're not stuck in one kind of sector, whether it be car related or food related. Like you just have that mindset of what you need to do, whether it's, whether it's manufacturing children's hats or, you know, catering ice cream, you just have that kind of, I think it comes a little bit easier and you're easier to adapt to kind of drive those changes that make you successful. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably a better way of saying it rather than just being in, in business. You know what? I don't know that I've ever, um, like in both the, you know, corporate markets that I, I worked in, which is food and wine. And then of course, um, at Microsoft, Microsoft, tons of super intelligent people, right? I mean, they have to be, but I wouldn't say any of them were entrepreneurial. Okay. I think that's maybe part of the reason why I did so well in marketing and branding is that I was able to adapt as opposed to a technical side. Although I have a pretty good, pretty good understanding of of well technology in the car i have a super good strong understanding of it but um i wouldn't call myself technical at all i think my brain just is wired differently so it's okay to be different (laughs) yeah i think i you know what does it take to be successful i think thick skin i wish i had learned earlier in life how to deal with uh poor management I think um, I think my expectations have always been super high, just of human beings in general. Um, but I, I think um, I, I wish I was able to have stuff roll off my back, you know, like water on a duck, they say. Um, but I take things pretty seriously, and I take them to heart. And I and I do. Uh, what are they? What's that? Um, you live with it on your sleeve or whatever, like 
my husband's always doing that hot hot potato thing. He just holds a hot potato. You, you can stand there and hold a hot potato as long as you want and be angry and frustrated and, and be in pain, or you can just let it go. I'm one of those people that has to hang on to it for super long because I'm just angry, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it served you well. <laughs> I Another thing, I'll just tell you, my husband is um, – so you, you can do all you want with trying to build up a business. But if there's one thing I learned is that I am not an accountant. So I, I owe a lot of um, gratitude to him. He, you know, I can take two nickels and, and make something out of it. But he has been my kind of go-to guy on the finance side of it. He's just super savvy of it. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I have to tell you one last thing. He, I'll come home and I'll, he'll say something to me and I'll say, you know, you're, it's just all in fun, of course you know, you're not the boss of me. And he'll look at me with these just seriously straight, you know, just look, just glaring at me and say, honey, nobody wants to be the boss of you. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of funny. Uh I'm I'm reminded of that. So I think that just kind of tells me that I'm, I'm in the right position and I'm doing the right thing and I'm helping these young college kids. So it's not just about making money every day. It's just about, you know, it's about satisfying your internal growth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever that looks like, it's not going to be the same for everybody, that's for sure. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I said, if anything, it'll be entertaining, I think. But you know what? I we, we had this thing at Microsoft when you go in meetings and they do two truths and a lie. And um, I would always win. Because I'd say, um, I, I once worked in a carny, or a carnival as a carny, um, I, I once worked as a cobbler and then, uh, the other one is I'm my own cousin and people would struggle. They would say, well, you were never a cobbler. Well, I was a cobbler. I come from a long line of cobblers. I know how to do shoe repair and dye shoes and fix soles and, um, all that. And then, um, I never, I never worked in a carnival but I am my own cousin. So then that would spark another thing. We'd have to get up on the whiteboard and I'd have to explain my crazy family. But um, yeah, it's kind of a funny, (laughs) funny (laughs) storyline. Just, uh, I know I said the last question was the last one. How about if I ask you, uh, and you kind of already said this, are you happy that you are a business owner? Yes. I think it's, satisfies some internal for me that um, to know that I can go to work and I'm self-employed and nobody's bossing me around telling me to do stuff that makes no difference. You know, you end up, end up with having managers like that in the corporate sector. And I think that was that kind of a big frustration for me is I knew I'm being asked to do things that really didn't go anywhere. Right. Yeah. So I think, again, you have to be able to be in a position to know that you're evolving. And if you're not evolving and changing every day in your job, you need to find something else. Because I'm telling you, I mean, there, I'm sure there are some people out there, they don't have to be entrepreneurial. But if you're not challenged in your job and you're not happy, that job is almost three quarters of your day, right? So yeah. you go back to, you know, Back in the 80s and 90s, Microsoft work-life balance. I I remember hearing that word, and I was like, I just kind of looked around at everybody, and everybody was like, oh, isn't this great work-life balance? For women, this is going to be great. And I went, 
well, there's no such thing. There's no such you can't balance the work and and your home life. You you got to be happy and bull. You know, you got to be. There, there's no balance. There's, I think that was just kind of a farce. I don't know who thought of that idea, but like you said, some, it didn't last long. <laughs> some some guy in the upper management came up with that word, <laughs> work life balance. Probably, I could totally see it. I mean. It's like, you know what? We've had a lot of complaints and our women force is getting pretty strong in Microsoft, so we should probably do something about that, you know? <sighs> yeah. It was a good place for me. I kind of, I think I probably um, was harder on them than I probably should have, but I, I learned a lot. Um, like I said, I had, I had some really amazing managers in the beginning of my career there that kind of led me on for six years who um, gave me opportunities. I think wasn't until um, I think like in my fourth or fifth year or something, I was managing a $4 million budget. I mean, I had people who believed in me and knew that I could do. Um, people would say, if you need it done, just go to Sharon. Because what I think at one time we needed like um, bomb sniffing dogs at a conference for one of our senior VPs. And because um, he was paranoid that somebody was, you know, doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And I was able to do it. So, and then I had to get like Penn and Teller last minute in Vegas. I mean, you just, you're, I mean, when you're tasked with things that seem totally impossible and then you pull them off, it just, um, I think it makes you resilient when, you know, maybe our ice cream delivery didn't show up. Well, is it all that bad? Probably not. I mean, in perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like it kind of sticks around a lot, but. Before ending my conversation with Sharon, I wanted to ask her if there's anything demanding or challenging physically or mentally of running such a business as hers, and if there's any type of a routine that she follows. You know, so um, we our, our ice cream business is year-round, although clearly in Seattle, you know, people do kind of hibernate when it comes to November, so we're super slow. We'll do you know, some car events through the holidays or whatever, but it's pretty much, which is great for hiring these college kids because they go, they, they, they go off in September, right? And then they come back when I need them back. It's, it's a perfect fit. But um, during my routine annually is I'm 24-7 sitting at my computer managing the business from April until September you know, because that's pretty much the meat of it. Um, January, February, or I mean, sorry, June, July, and August is, is super, super busy. Um, but during those winter months, that's my time to rejuvenate. And I find other things that I could be doing better. Like, it'll cross my mind, you know, a million times during the season of something I should be doing, but I just don't have time to do it. So that's just kind of a regeneration for me in the winter months. It's kind of like I sit at my desk and my whiteboard and I find different markets to target or um, better products. Um, I'm constantly challenging our distributors with that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that that's my routine is um, just regenerating, you know. It's, 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 Motiv it's, you got to keep when you're self-employed, you got to motivate yourself. <laughs> yeah, which, hard sometimes. yeah, which probably would be the most difficult thing or one of the most. Um, do you have to be physically fit? I mean, mentally and physically fit to 
to run a business? Uh, I think mentally you do. Certainly because we're, you know, customer service oriented. I um, I think I, I said this too. I think, you know, come the time I retire, which hopefully is sooner than not, um, I want to be able to enjoy life. And my husband's been retired for a couple of years, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. His life is great. Um, I think that... Uh, well, now I forgot the question. What was the question? Uh, if you need to be uh, like physically and mentally fit uh, to oh, run a business. Oh, so that's a, yeah, so that's a great question. So I think emotionally you have to be, I have to be, you know, I can't be in a bad mood, you know, and you pick up the phone and talking to a new client and whether they've worked with us, you know, once or 20 times over the last umpteen years, um, they still have the same questions, right? So I think I always have to be on point that way. So I think uh, mentally I have to be in a good mood um, and as well as my employees, you know, they, they, they need that motivation just as bad as I do. So I think to be medic uh, mentally um, sane is super important, uh, especially in driving new business. Um, physically, um, I'm this last year, I actually had two knee surgeries in the last year and a half. So, it was a little bit of a struggle, um, and then COVID happened, which was kind of a relief, um, so it helped me heal a little bit, and then they wanted to schedule a third surgery, which I canceled. Um, I'm doing great now. I'm not hobbling around like an old lady, um, but yeah, physically, I, there's a lot to do. We have a shipment of ice cream coming in today, and it comes in on a huge pallet, and it's pretty physical um, to unload all that, so um I, I think you have to ha you have to take care of yourself. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause sometimes yeah, you know you hear you hear business people say, "Oh, I only sleep two hours a night." And others say, "You know, make sure you get your full night's rest so you can work hard all day." Uh, um, I wasn't sure how you yeah, operate. I, I mean, my income. I wake up at seven every morning. I don't know why. It's just kind of my thing. Um, I don't know, but I'm not necessarily ever not rested sometimes I'm just not prepared for the day because there's all sorts of weird stuff happening or we have events that overlap and I just um you know some of these events that we do especially like on the larger side when it's more than 500 people we have a big box truck so we're able to transport you know if if an event like T-Mobile had a, um, a product launch that they did um last season actually and uh, it was six locations, um, same day, same time type of thing. And just to be able to logistically be mentally sane and physically capable to do that, yeah, you've got to be on point. But I don't think there's any room in my business for us to maybe not showing up because, you know, I don't know if, we, if one of my employees didn't show up. If one of my employees didn't show up, they probably wouldn't be working. But um, that's kind of... Uh, we always show up. We always knock it out of the ballpark. Um, logistically, timing. Yeah, I think I think you have to be, you have to be mentally sane, and keep your wits about you too. I mean, we do get some kind of goofy phone calls sometimes. People aren't, you know, people aren't aren't. Everybody wants. To, I say everybody wants to be a wedding planner or an event uh, manager, 
but but when it comes to logistics they sometimes are the most inept people I've ever talked to in my life like they just I think that some people kind of gear towards like wanting that title and forgetting about what the job description is and that that's no different than being put into a role in a corporate position and everybody has a title and a job description but there's always going to be that one person that's senior level to you that wants to do everybody else's job but their own right mm-hmm. so um, okay, like you said, just gotta have so your wits about I, yourself. I think and, you gotta be sane. Yeah, yeah, you gotta. I've got to take care of myself. I um, just um, physically, it's pretty. I, I this would have better suited me if I was thirty years old. I think I'd have more. Um, I, can, I definitely can tell I'm getting older. <laughs> Aren't you? <laughs> you, don't older you? You don't want to mention. You don't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a year older than me, so <laughs> I've had a good. I say I had a good run. I don't know, you know. <laughs> I'm still running. I'm still doing or trying. Yeah, uh. yeah. I'm you know I'm kind of a fighter that way too. Like I just don't like to lose. So to admit that my knees are hurting is a whole. Um, I just I just keep going and kind of like. And and this is I this is me this is totally me and then we can cut it short. But uh, remember, as a kid, and I know you had one of these. Um, everybody did one of those punching bags with the clown on it and the sand in the bottom of it. You punch it and come right back up. I had something similar. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so I would have one of those outside my office when I was at Microsoft because you never knew what was coming at you. And I did it as a joke. Um, but that's kind of I. I feel like that's the same way here. It's like, you just have to be ready for that, you know? So you have to be, you can't be emotionally drained. You can't, you know, let other, you know, an uncomfortable call disrupt your whole day. Or, um, so I think as I've gotten older, I've I've been able to like let things roll off my back a lot easier, you know? So, but definitely taking care physically. Yeah. I know it's just ice cream, but it's heavy. That stuff is heavy. <laughs> ice cream cart alone weighs 350 pounds. When those carts are loaded, it's like 500 pounds. So. Oh, yeah. And ice cream, when you eat a lot, it makes you heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I always say to people, um, they say, well, do you go to the events? And I go, well, once in a while I do. But nobody wants to see a 60-year-old woman at, you know, handing out ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or driving an ice cream truck, you know. Nobody <laughs> wants to see that. Like, I, I, I fight constantly to keep to keep my weight down. But I do a lot of sampling. I have to. It's my job, right? Yeah, that's true. Gosh, that's a yeah. great job. <laughs> Being a sampler. <laughs> that's why the taster. It's the funnest job anybody could have. It's, it's the most fun you'll you've ever experienced. So. That's why you tell every employee this is going to be the most fun that you've ever had at a job. It's true. I have them come back years later. I mean, some of them have been, you know, five, six years now, and they'll pop me an email on Facebook or something and say, you know what? You're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tend to be more right than wrong these days, but uh... that's because. As you get older, you would hope so, right? Uh, yeah. I appreciate chatting with you. That was fun. Yeah. It was fun. I it brought back a lot of memories, and it um, kind of 
brought back. Why am I doing this? You know? I'm glad you are a business owner and you're doing what you're doing because I have had the pleasure of sampling the ice cream and just seeing the truck and then just now really learning about what, what your business really is. And as you said, people, people think, yeah, hopefully it gave kind of a, a different insight as to what, you know, it's just not an ice cream truck kind of cruising by it's, it's more than that, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, really about taking something so simple as you know an ice cream cone or we call it sticks and cones you take a stick and cone and you make something out of it you know it's just a little bit different than you know what you're used to seeing or what you think it is but um it certainly has, has paid off in a lot of ways so it definitely sounds but, like and the... i appreciate you letting me show that yeah yeah um well it's going to be good for all the listeners i think uh, just like you're saying in closing there that it's just a matter of making something really making something out of something. So there's always an opportunity out there. Look for it um, and do it. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's a lot of times where there's been a lot of failures on my part, um, but that, that I don't, I don't choose failure as a quitting point. No, you cannot, That's just su- a challenge. you cannot right. succeed without yeah. failure. That's how I look at it. If, if, if you yeah. if you succeed or whatever you want to call it on your first try, uh, it may not be that that winning thing. So I believe in failure before you succeed. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I know I certainly did. I had a great time talking with Sharon and really learning about another person. Again, this is just a part of a mini-series of Women in Business and Technology. There will be three others, so look for those. Also, if you can do me a favor, please follow me on any one of our favorite or your favorite podcast stations. Thank you.